0: study it with with all authority so Matthew chapter 3 now it starts by saying in these days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert and how how Matthew is going to just prove again that prophecy talked about John um, knew who John was and what his his, his Theme and message was going to be. And he was quite something, that John the Baptist. I mean, if you kind of thought about it in the first question, when I said, Who was he? you can't help but think about how he came to be his mom and dad, Zacharias and and Elizabeth, how that miracle happened. Those elderly people not even being able to have children. And then in their old age, even. Then they had John the Baptist, and, and so extraordinary miracle. And John had a specific job to do. There is no doubt he was set aside for this job, and that was what? He was going to be the forerunner, the forerunner. He, he was actually going to be the last prophet to prophesy Jesus' coming because they had had done it for hundreds of years prior, and then there was a 400-year silence where there was no prophets, no prophesying, and then John the Baptist comes on the scene. So even though it's New Testament, it's still the the last of the Old Testament prophets because he was then going to foretell, like all the other prophets, the coming of the Messiah. So what else do you know about him? I mean, the, the video helped depict, I mean, he was quite a character, you know? And this whole thing about his camel hair clothes and his eating locusts and, and you know, he's just very unique. And, and I don't know why he did that. I'm sure there was reasons um, I, I was kind of told or I studied up on it. And and some believe, and and this sounds good, that he didn't want anybody to um, deter him. He didn't want anything to deter him from what he was called to do. And so there was no worry about what I wore or what I eat. See, do you believe that that sometimes um, those things can almost become God's to us? food and clothes and, and what people think, that can almost take such a priority in our life that we get sidetracked from what we're really supposed to be here for. And I think he was so so tunnel-visioned in his his, his reason for being that he didn't let anything sidetrack. And, and so, you know, he was very unique. But another thing I thought of, how in the world, he was in the desert, how do you get people to come, you know? Don't you think the talk got around town that there was some nutcase over there in the desert? And he, boy, was he a character. And, you know, I am convinced that it doesn't matter why people come at first. So whether they came to check him out, to see what the, what the big fuss was about, or... I know that I'm I'm in Bible study today because I came the first time just to get a lady off my back. I was so sick and tired of her telling me how much I should come to Bible study. And I had just given all the excuses that I could and finally just, just to get her off my back. So I went for totally the wrong reason, but she knew, she didn't care, if I would just come, I would be hooked. And sure enough. And so the same thing with these people. They would come if for whatever reason... And I really don't care why people come the first time, because I know that God's word and his spirit will hook you into the truth of things, and then he will take it from there. So, you know, maybe his uniqueness was for that. I don't know. We really don't know. But, hey, people came, and people heard a message. And what was his message? Very simple. Just Jesus was going to follow suit and have the same message. And that message was what? repent repent now I don't know about you but I don't think we hear that message a whole lot anymore we don't hear cuz we don't want to hear about oh repent you what do you mean i got to take a look at myself oh you mean i uh, i got to confess i you mean i'm a sinner i mean i think we know that but yet we don't we don't really want to go there i think we want to hear messages on god's love and and we want to hear all that but but I'm telling you, you gotta see that John and Jesus both they started with repent because that's the initial, that's that's the first step in the salvation process. You know, we talk about this many times. You've heard me a bazillion times say how that, that day that of our salvation is a hard day. It starts as a, a real difficult day because for the first time maybe, you're confronted with who you really are, and that is a sinner. I mean, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no getting around it. We all come to the cross needing a Savior, and and the gospel message is we have one. If you ever need to know what gospel means, you know, I know, it's It's good news, but if you really want beyond that, the good news, the greatest news ever is that we need a Savior and we have one. That's the greatest news because, you know, what would it be is once you come to realization that you need a Savior and, oh, no, there isn't any. You know, when we studied Revelation, remember when John wept so hard when nobody stood up to op- open the seals, to, to be able to open that scroll of planet Earth, to get judgment going so that Jesus said, could come back and right all wrong and all that. And remember, until Jesus stood up, John, because what would happen? What would happen if there was nobody to redeem this Earth? Wonder, wonder if Jesus wasn't going to come back and right every wrong then who wins? Satan wins so you know these things this is so important that that the greatest news is that yes we are sinners but we have a savior the greatest news is that that, um, redemption has come and Jesus is coming back to get his children and we live in that hope every day that's why we never lose hope, no matter as dark as what I mean. In today, let's face it. If, if you watched any snippets of the news today, I mean, you, your heart just cries for what's what's happening. But you think, you know, some people think, oh, what a mess! It's hopeless. And and but you and I, we know there's. There is hope because we know that we have a Savior who is going to return and go to right every wrong. And we have a future in a place where we will be with Him and He will be with us forevermore. And so we hang on to that. So here, John the Baptist makes sure he's not afraid. Jesus is not afraid to say, hey, You need to repent, repent, confess. Because without it, wonder if you didn't repent, wonder if you didn't confess and repent, then there is no what? Forgiveness. If you don't confess or repent, there's no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is no righteousness. You know, tonight we went into God's presence. We went before his very throne of grace because we were wearing, and that's why we sang the songs we did tonight. I wanted you to catch that word, righteous. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We have, we have been made right. And then when, we shall, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness. We will be dressed in his righteousness faultless to stand before the throne that's that is just truly um, unexplainable that's grace with a capital G but see it has to you've got to follow this formula of this 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 step-by-step process and if you don't hear about repentance and seeing yourself the way you really are Salvation Day starts really humbling and almost embarrassing, and it's just a hard road to walk to the cross. But then it turns into the greatest day, the greatest day. When he stands you and I up and turns us around and know that we have now been given the gift of his spirit, and then we can start the kingdom of heaven, and this is what else he preaches repent the kingdom of heaven is near he says what is he talking about the kingdom of heaven when you th- when you think of kingdom of heaven i think we automatically think of heaven something that is over there and we know we'll be there but until then but no the kingdom of heaven he says is near I think while we're on this earth, until we get to the place of heaven, we start our kingdom of heaven with a relationship with the Savior. That's where our kingdom of heaven starts. Because he says here, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." So the kingdom of heaven isn't something we're waiting for. The kingdom of heaven starts the second we've come to the cross and begin that relationship with Jesus. And then he, through the power of his spirit, then starts us on a discipleship and a maturing to know him better. I still go back to those wise men last week. I am so taken with those wise men. And 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 I'm thinking, why were they called wise men? Because of what we studied in Proverbs, wisdom is when you listen and you believe what you've heard and then you obey it. And these wise men were labeled right because they listened. And they believed what they heard because they, did, they heard the voice of God and they didn't, or they saw the star first and, and they didn't say, oh, that, you know, that's kind of irrational. I mean, I don't really see how that could possibly be real. And, you know, all those questions and doubts. No, they, they believed and they obeyed. And then when, when God warned them not to go back, they decided to, again, listen. And believe and obey and because of that they're labeled wise men that's all that's all it is wisdom is when we dare listen and believe it and then do it so John the Baptist says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near the kingdom of heaven I think starts now with a relationship with a person, but then ends up to be a place that we are given because of our relationship with him now. So kingdom of heaven now is Jesus. And then the kingdom of heaven, when we get to that place, we're there because of Jesus. So that's the kingdom of heaven is near. This is He who who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Oh, Matthew, he's so good about recalling those, those Old Testament prophecies and how he's just kind of bringing us right into the new, new times here, but saying, look, look at the details. Look what Isaiah said thousands, you know, hundreds of years ago. Listen to what he said, a voice of one calling in the desert. And then look at the first line of tonight's lesson. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert isn't that something and then what was that voice saying prepare the way for the Lord now, they would understand that. They would understand it back in Isaiah's day. And even even now, they would understand. Because prepare the way for the Lord. But See, whenever a king would be coming to a town and he would be going down certain roads, oh, that little town had to prepare. They would have to redo roads and make, make sure everything was perfect. They, they would have to really spend time getting things ready, preparing for the king that was coming. So, you know, they would understand that when John is, is starting this, he's talking about a king. The wise men knew, even though Jesus was from a baby to a toddler, we don't know for sure, but, I mean, he certainly didn't look kingly, and yet the wise men knew who he was. And they were overjoyed and worshiped him. There was probably, you know, toddling away in his diapers. And there are those wise men who are worshiping him because they knew. And so here, John the Baptist, Isaiah knew, John the Baptist, you better prepare, get ready. He's here, he, he's, he's coming and make straight paths for him. <laughs> I think there he's saying, get your heart ready. Prepare that heart. Get your heart ready. Get your mind set for this. And then John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. When they heard that message, when they heard him firm, I mean, he didn't spare any words. I mean, he didn't flower things up. He he didn't say what itching ears want to hear. He dared say the truth. And the thing is, look what happened. People were confronted with themselves, and out came confession. Confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan. Now... Where did he get this kind of boldness? I asked you because, I mean, he was so bold and he was so confident because, because look, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. I mean, that took a lot of nerve because i think the video helped us see when you looked at those religious leaders in all of their robes and finery if you looked at their faces what did it what did those faces say to you they were pretty smug weren't they they are pretty self-confident. They were, they were thinking how ridiculous is this man. They were so caught up in themselves. I, you talk about the difference between wise men and King Herod last week. Look what a difference. Those who are listening to the Lord versus folly. And, and then look at the consequences. In here, tonight's lesson, you see the same thing. You see the contrast between John the Baptist, who is a, as real as they come, no pretense, knows his place, knows what his job is, and then you've got these religious leaders in all of their, in all of their robes and finery, and yet they miss the whole point. They are such fakers. And that Creates a point, if you ask me, a danger. I think that we in West Michigan, we're, we're living in dangerous territory. I really do. As privileged as we are in some respects to, to have churches on every corner and, and to be called a religious area and all that. But boy, I'm telling you, it is dangerous because so many think that they're just so fine, Because they live here, or they they attend such and such a church, or they do such good works, or they follow the traditions of their fathers. And they don't even realize that they're not, you know, they punch in maybe for an hour here. They don't understand that this is serious. This is a whole life change. And I think through this whole baptism in chapter three, it's not the water that does anything, it's the whole concept. That Jesus is trying to get across. John says, I baptize with water because to me, this says something. This says that even though the water can't do anything, you're making a stand, you're making an identity, you're going down in that water, your old self. And you come out of the water, a new life in Christ. So it's symbolic, we know it's not necessary for salvation, but I think this whole chapter is trying to, you know, this whole thing of Jesus and the gospel, this is brand spanking new. And Jesus, as we go through Matthew, he will, he will do many different ways to get his point across. And I think in this particular chapter, you see he uses baptism as you go in one way, your old self, and you come out. I mean, that's what, that's what he has come to do, to change our lostness and make us found. You know, you have to seek. We've talked about seek last week. We saw the wise men seek. And we said something about that word. And we said that it is a word that means work and effort. It just doesn't mean you look for. I mean, seek means it's more intense. You're not going to give up, you're going to seek. And Jesus Himself said that when He can see that kind of desire in your heart, He promises what? We sang it tonight. You can be guaranteed. That's why that first week I said, Do you really want to be healed? Are you really gonna seek that these words are gonna affect you? And that you're not gonna just leave here excited about a good lesson and then and then forget about it. We can get all worked up in emotion. I mean I, I I went to Jesus Fest with Sherry and Lynn and that and it, um it, it was wonderful it really was wonderful The only thing that I saw was how excited all those young people were. I mean, they were rocking and jumping, and their (laughs) fists were in the air, and they were so excited, and, and that's exciting to watch. But I thought, oh, I just pray that when you go home now, that it's not just hype, it's not just emotion, but that it's real, and that you'll work at letting Jesus change you so easy to get excited and then you leave it's kind of like the parable of the sower you know you get all emotionally worked up and then but it's those seeds that just kind of fall among the thorns and in, in the um you know in the briars and, and they never take root So then when troubles come, then all of a sudden, oh, where is God? Well, if the seed had taken root, you would find that even in the hard times, oh yeah, that's right. He reminds me that he's with me through it all. See, we need and how do we get good roots? How do we how do we get good soil so that the seeds of God's word will take root in it? It's it takes work and effort. It takes seeking. And this is what I did not see in the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, oh, you know something else about those two religious groups? They couldn't stand each other. Isn't that something? These two religious groups could not stand each other. They, they did not agree on very little. And yet we, we will see through the whole gospel, we'll see that these two groups who can't stand each other at any other time will come together for one cause, and that is to get rid of Jesus. So. It's really something you you just if you study in the difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, you know, it, the gap between them is huge, and yet they came together, boy, because they wanted to get rid of him. The thing is, John the Baptist he had the courage to look right at those high rollers, and he didn't bat an eyelash. What did he call them? you? You vipers, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. And then he said something, and I asked you a question about in question four. What should be an automatic response? And I had you go to James 2, verse 26, to remind if if this is real to you. If it's not just emotion and the hype, if it's not just a once-a-week plug-in, well, you know, I mean, I have, you know, my folks are so and so, and my grandparents are so and so. So obviously, I'm fine. I mean, I had a son that thought that because he was from um, this particular family, and me for a mother. I mean, he thought he was in or he certainly should be in for putting up with me. I mean, he really for a long time thought that that's what, and I think there's a lot of young people, I think there's a lot of people who think that after all of this upbringing and all these things that I had to go to, you know, they don't, they don't see, and boy, I'll tell you, what gave him that kind of confidence to look straight at him and call him that? where did that kind of power come from you bet you know even though it's this side of Pentecost even though Pentecost hadn't come yet you will see God's spirit working through the whole Old Testament and John the Baptist when he was even in his mother's womb you'll read he was filled with the Holy Spirit so you know that when you are sure of something, John was so sure there wasn't a doubt in his mind. When do you when do you back away? When do you when do you shut your mouth? Usually you when when don't you dare say anything when you're not sure? I mean, none none of us want to make a fool of ourselves. So if we're not sure on the subject, we just back away and we just shut our mouth. But but what these questions and what this passage is saying to us is that when it's real, you, in automatic responses, what does James say? You have this real faith, do you? You really trust him? You really believe he is who he is? Oh, you could say it. Words are cheap. But what's the proof? What did he say to these guys? You're walking around in all your haughtiness and, and all of your high education and, and all of your quick Bible verses and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? If it doesn't take root in your heart, it's not real. And boy, he, he called them on it. He said, you know what? You're, what's happening? You know, you know why it's so obvious? It's because words are cheap. What is the proof of real? What is the proof of real? What does he say? Your actions. It's the fruit. He says here, he says, and that's what actions are. Warn, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he's saying... And fruit, when he says the word fruit, what's he talking about? Fruit of the Spirit. So he's saying, you're going to watch yourself love unconditionally. You're going to watch yourself have joy when you're not even happy. You're going to watch yourself have peace in the middle of a storm. You're going to find that you have patience. You're learning how to wait on him instead of jumping the gun you're finding that that not only are you kind you're there's it's not just being nice it's you're willing to be selfless love joy peace patience kindness goodness you know the defin- you know the real definition of good and that is for we know that in all things god's working for good it doesn't mean good is always going to go your way good is god's good faithfulness you're gonna you're gonna live by faith you don't even need to see because faith is being sure not of what you can see but being sure of him you don't need to see you don't need to understand because you know him so well you've got a confidence you've got a hope in him that's all defined in hebrews 11 1 when you want to know what faith is produce fruit if you want to really know if you're real are you changing are you starting to see that you have the fruit of his spirit more than the fruit itself you're starting to see you know what i didn't respond like i know i would have a year ago i'm seeing that that um i wake up in the morning with a different purpose i see myself in such a different light and with such different worth I find that the joy of the Lord really is my strength today. I keep remembering what I've learned and that I can be strong and courageous today because his outstretched right hand is right there for me to take. That he'll see to it that I can do all things today through him who will give me that strength and and he will supply what I need whether it's physical or emotional or, or mental or spiritual he promised to supply what I need he will never call me to do anything today without giving me what it takes oh yeah that's right what a different way John the Baptist says, you know what you can quote it and say it all you want but it is of no value at all if it doesn't take root in the good soil of your heart he says and do not think you can say to yourself oh i'm telling you he just he cut right to the chase because he he knew what they were going to say Well, what right do you have we're children of abraham We have abraham as our father so i i had you i know this was kind of a hard question Uh, maybe maybe not but i wanted if you put that in today's english what would would be what would john the baptist say to you today instead of saying um what excuse do we say instead of saying we have abraham as our father what would be what's our what's our good excuse today Exactly. I go to church. Yeah. What's another one? I went to Christian school. Um, Look at all the good things I do. Um, I'm a good person. I mean, you know the lingo today is very similar to this right here. And, and with the way John the Baptist answers it, he says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You know, Paul, to me, helped me understand that whole thing about credentials, I remember talking about it before in one of the the lessons in the past couple years. But, you know, Paul would list, he would say, you know, if anybody, if you could look at somebody with all what they've done and all their training, you know, all of his learning as far as um, being taught by Gamaliel and being born of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Jew, one of God's chosen people. I mean, he just went on listing all of, I mean, after all, and And then he says, and you know what, I count all of that for nothing. Because as great as they were, they could only lead me to the one who could save. And you know what, Paul, he had to get knocked off his high horse. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. I mean, he literally had to get knocked to the ground, which I think is so symbolic of getting knocked off yourself, high horse. You're a high high religious horse. And he had to get knocked right down. He had to be blinded for three days, let him sit in a room in darkness for three days and let him think about that. You know? You can, you can just play that, that excuse game, or sometimes you don't even know it's excuse. You really, you really bought into that. You thought that's all it took. Another one was, this morning someone said, it, and I kind of mentioned a little while ago, um, but my grandparents are so-and-so, or my parents are so-and-so. I mean, that's another one. And again, if you were privileged to have parents and grandparents that you looked up to, that mentored Jesus, boy, I'll tell you, that is wonderful privilege. But still, they couldn't save you. So, I mean, all of these things, I thought, really kind of went in the same thing. And then this is what John says, and again, he didn't spare any words to them. He said, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That should be chilling, That, what a picture John the Baptist said. I mean, picture an ax, and it's right there. It's already, that blade is right there. And if that, in other words, if, and pretty much that's judgment. It's when the wheat and tears get separated. I mean, Jesus is going to say, hmm, who's real and who's not? He's going to know. And we'll get more into that in Matthew seven twenty one. 21, because, oh, when Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father. we got to say the whole verse. In other words, it's exactly what John the Baptist's message is. You've got to have fruit along with your repentance, or it's of no value. And if it is just a bunch of hot air, if, it's just, if it is just a bunch of words, if it's just a bunch of, of pretend religion, the ax is right there. You know, I've done Matthew before, but I've never seen it as serious as I've been seeing it now. And I think in our day and age and maybe where I've changed and what's happening in our world and everything that all comes, you know, to play here. But boy, do we need to hear this message now. I mean, you can pretend judgment isn't going to happen. You can, you can, you know, sing the songs about what a day that will be when Jesus, I will see. You know, that is not going to be a great day for a lot of people. Sure sounds good in a song, but if you've been a fake, if you've never gone to the cross of Christ, if you never really knew what gospel meant, the greatest news that you have a Savior and you need one, if you never grabbed a hold of that then I'm telling you that's that's a, that's going to be a some something when you're face to face with him John says I baptize you with water for repentance in other words, I can only do that. That's just the only thing that I'm humanly possible. I can only baptize with water. But, but that's okay because I want you to see what, what's happened to you. When you confess and repent, your sins are washed away. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. Did John the Baptist know his place? You know, you know, when you think of human, human nature here, you know, John is getting a lot of crowds. He is getting many followers, and he, people are standing in line to get to talk to him and to, and to have him baptize them, and he is getting really popular. And what happens? What's the danger when you start getting popular by man? All of a sudden, you start thinking you're kind of good at this. And unfortunately, we've seen it more than once. When wonderful preachers or wonderful, they start right in in the popularity or whatever, just took a hold of them and thought that they could do them. We saw with King David when he lost his humility and said, you know, I don't really feel like going to war today. Even though that's what the Lord wants me to do, I'm King David. I mean, whenever you get to that point, it is a danger zone. But, but John the Baptist didn't ever go there. That's why you can see he was so, so committed. He was so allowing God's spirit to show him his job and his purpose. He knew that there was someone coming. I mean, mean, this is something. It would be like me saying, "Um, oh, you got to go hear so-and-so. They can sing a whole lot better than me. So don't come to my concert. You go to theirs because they are so much better than me. They'll be able to minister to you far better than I can. I mean, I don't think you hear many singers doing that. That's why John the Baptist is such a good person to learn from because he, he, he knew his place and he knew that someone was coming that was greater than he and he was going to become less and less. To, to say that, that's what he actually said. I will become less and less and he will become more and more. That's having it right. He, you know what humility, that's why humility is such a beautiful thing. And it's really so simple. Humility is when you just stay in your right place and you let God stay in his and you never get the two switched. Humility is when you know that you have a sovereign God who's in control of all things and believe it or not, you're not. That's when humility is a beautiful thing in your life. It sure was in John's. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and with fire. I know that for some conservatives, it's so that, that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit, is, is such a scary thing. But I'm telling you, when it became scary, it's because people had it all wrong. He said that it was something separate from salvation. You needed another experience. What are you given immediately at your conversion? You are given the gift of what? The Holy Spirit and every morning that should be something that you and i along with the full armor of god that we ask for another baptizing of his holy spirit because what does that mean it means he covers you inside and out you are covered with god's spirit because then there is no room for what there's no room for self so that baptism With the Holy Spirit is something that you and I should want and ask for all the time. And then to be be baptized with fire. Now, fire can do two things. What do we know? What's the good thing that fire can do? Purify. It can purify. And, you know, our Lord knows just how hot to get that fire to in our lives. But he will, he will purify us. And we also know that fire can destroy. Now, isn't it so wonderful to know that when you are baptized with fire, what does he want to do with our sin? That fire can destroy our sin and purify our heart and mind. So never be afraid of that phrase, baptized with fire the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh, It's it's just exactly what we need. And then he said, he comes back to this subject. You know, he talked about the axe that was at the root, and he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, there's where the definition of fire, (laughs) you're talking about a fire pit that will be opened in Revelation 20. So um, he makes that point very clear. Two choices. Jesus did everything necessary, now it's up to you. What are you gonna do? You're all lost, what are you gonna do with this cross? Are you gonna take it for what it did and accomplished for you and become real in this and, and, and surrender yourself because of what he, he allowed you to live instead of die and he now asks in return, or really demands in return, ourself. Or are you going to say, no, I think I want to control it myself. Well, I think Matthew 3, John the Baptist, makes it very clear. There's only two choices here, but then you see two different consequences of your choice. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, and you, it's very obvious. I mean, I'd have thought the same thing you would have too. He said, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness So in Jesus' way, he was saying, John, I want to start here, and I want them to see what baptism is all about and what's necessary. That's why I came, is to take their sin and wash it away and take their place. I will take on what they deserved. So they can be right. In and of themselves, there is no way that... that, that they would become right. But I'm coming to fulfill righteousness so that every one of these people have the opportunity to be made right. I will fulfill that. I will take the place. Oh, well, then John consented. And I thought this was so beautiful, the way the video depict Jesus going down, but then it's like it went into slow motion when he came out of the water and he, he knew exactly what was happening. Now, he's 30 years old right now, and he is ready to start what? His ministry. That's right. He knows exactly what he's come for. He's going to have three years that he's going to teach the best he can. And he comes out of that water ready and willing but then look what happens. I think we see that look on his face because what does the Bible say happen? He looked up and you saw this unexpl- un- un- this beautiful face of joy because what happened? When he looked up, what did he see? Heaven open. Sometimes when 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 you hear about people who, right before they pass away, you sometimes hear um, stories about how something comes over their face and they could, they, it's like, well, heaven opens and they are seeing something extraordinary. I think Jesus, when, when he came out of the water and he was ready to do what he was called to do and he saw heaven open, do you think this was affirming to him? Do you think you, you heard, you see the Trinity right now come into fruition? You, you really see the Godhead in three distinct parts for your salvation and mine. It's like God in all of his sovereignty was willing to divide into three Godhead because each one had their own distinct job for you and me. I mean, right now I see God the Father, I see him who was willing to say, you know what, I love them. I love those people. And so uh, this is my plan. My plan is that I send my son in human form with perfect blood, by the way. Aren't you glad we talked about that? The kind of blood that it was so perfect. The blood that was, was accepted for you and me. So you see, Jesus, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, thank you, Father, for coming up with a plan for your unconditional love or I'd still be, I would be lost. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And thank you, Jesus, for, in Philippians 2, where, where Paul says he never grabbed a hold of his, God had to say, are you kidding? I'm not doing that. Who do you think you're talking to? I mean, no, he, he took it on even to the death of the cross. But then, you know, you see how in this, you see God's Holy Spirit, how essential that is. Because this, did you notice how the Holy Spirit, it says he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. Another version says enlighten. Remember we talked last week about the light? He was going to be the light for a dark world. See, now you put this all together, and all those words make such perfect sense. And then that voice from heaven said, This is my son. I love him, and I am well pleased with him. Jesus is going to start the walk uh, an unbelievable walk. But hearing his father's voice, seeing that he's loved, and he, He's totally pleased with him. I'm sure he's ready now. He's got the spirit who's come to be a part of him, to enlighten him and lead the way. So I asked you, how does this all fit into your salvation? Well, it's pretty much thank you, Father, for, for loving us unconditionally. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to be the sacrifice. But I, you know, now the Father is in glory. Jesus has is, is gotten back to his place in glory. But Keith Green nailed it when he wrote that song, didn't he? Thank you for leaving your Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of that, the story that we did in Acts 1 last night when, when Jesus, when he, right before he descended, he said to his disciples, go to Jerusalem and you wait for me. Don't begin your ministry. Don't begin anything. You go there and wait until the Spirit, till the gift comes. See, we can't do it without the Spirit. When you try living this Christianity in your own strength, that's why you fall flat. And that's why you get deluded, and that's why God gets his the fish shaking at him because we're trying to do the impossible. And the Holy Spirit was given to us to do what we can't do for ourselves. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for staying here within me until my work on earth is done. What a lesson! What a lesson! Father, thank you for this, and we need it. We need every little word of it, and it's so wonderful to take one chapter and go line by line and just watch you work, not only in the story, but how it applies to each and every one of us, and for that, we are eternally grateful, because we do not want to miss all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, good lesson.